Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast. I am your host, Jeff Steppen. On today's show, I am happy to welcome Leanne Sherrod, who is a speech pathologist and started up her own teletherapy company. Now, this is an interesting, well, teletherapy is an interesting uh, topic to cover these days, being that we're all in the age of the pandemic, and I think teletherapy is really having its moment. So, uh, Expressible, that's the name of Leanne Sherrod's company. She's going to talk about why she developed it. Uh, her background is an SLP, and uh, the unique business model that Leanne has uh, implemented, uh, unique being that we're in the United States, and I've mentioned this before, we have a very fragmented healthcare system. So without further ado, let's learn more about Expressible. First, I want to ask you, how how are things during this pandemic time? What's you know, I think, I guess what, I, what I've been telling people is that it's a strange silver lining is that telepractice is having its moment and we're kind of getting the word out there and showing that it is, it is something that's super viable um, for people to use, uh, even though we were started before all of this happened. And I think from a personal perspective, I mean, I'm glad for everything. It does feel a little strenuous to be work is home and home is work. And so it feels like work a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are feeling that same strain though. Yeah. There's the, that border. I, I know because I have a, I have friends in the corporate world and they live that life where there's yeah. no true on and off switch. But when you work in the schools, like I do, I mean, I, I have a small private practice, but there's more of a feeling of demarcation. You know where the line is, yeah. but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I definitely feel that now. It's like, you're never truly off. You're never truly on. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I was, it was easier, <laughs> easier to do that before be- starting a business. <laughs> yeah. Now like you get that guilty feeling in your mind where you feel like if you're not doing something towards that business, then you're not doing as much as you could. Yeah, so I yeah. think I'm feeling it extra during the pandemic. Yeah, and especially now we were talking on the phone um, about this before the podcast, and I, I almost I feel like you guys here at Company Expressible, it's like almost like the Peloton <laughs> of like speech therapy <laughs> services. Like you know, Peloton's model is built on people being at home, and you know, teletherapy. It's like you said, it's having its moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> hopefully we don't, hopefully we don't put any ads out that get very poorly received <laughs> the way that the Peloton kind of had. Right. right. Yeah, they're still doing okay. They weathered oh, that I'm story. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get, let's just jump in about your background. How long you've been an SLP? Um, what is your, what has your practice been like up until now? Yeah. So I got started. Um, I kind of found the field by accident when I was going to undergrad, I knew that communication was my one of my strong points, but I also, I wanted to be like an international traveler. So I kind of made up this theoretical career of being an international communications major. I don't know what I was going to do with it, but um, in that communications, I took one class called voice and diction, and it was part public speaking related and, and part sort of about the field of speech pathology and talking about accents and dialects. And it was just so intriguing to me. I had always grown up doing a lot of voices and having kind of a good ear for accents and being able to imitate them really well. So I took that class and then I just kind of went, I started 
running from there just through all undergrad. I went straight from undergrad at George Washington, George Washington University to graduate school at Northwestern University. And um, from there, my first, my clinical fellowship was in early intervention. So that was a pretty, um, I think, pretty aggressive way to start a career because it's very lone wolf. Um, it is, yeah. That's what I did. It's, yeah, yeah. Pretty lone wolf. I mean, I ha- I worked for a great um, practice and they were super supportive. So that's kind of, I think, the reason I was able to pull it off. Um, and so I did early intervention. And then when we moved downtown to Texas, I started in an outpatient clinic um, for a couple years. And I did there, I fulfilled a contract for them that they had with a nearby school district doing their evaluations and IEP meetings down here in Texas, they call them ARD meetings. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's annual review dismissal is what it stands for. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then after that, I kind of went back to home health for a little bit, just uh, again, still with pediatrics. And then after that is when we started working on Expressible and, and diving more into telehealth. Okay. I had no idea you went to Northwestern. My backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm in Chicago. Uh, Yeah. I live probably about 20 minutes away from the campus. Oh, nice. Yeah. I miss Evanston. I really do. Great town. Yeah. Great town. It is. Um, Wow. So you've been, so how many years now as an SLP? What does that mean? I think it's been almost six. Six. Okay. So what was your first exposure to teletherapy? It was actually diving in on starting Expressible. That was sort of, we had the idea for it and we Mm -hmm. said, hey, can we, can we figure that out? And I started doing research, started doing CEUs, um, gathering materials together, and then just kind of went for it from there. When we first started, it was just me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we were able to test our experiment successfully and I gained a lot of good experience right off the bat. And so from there, everything just kind of blossomed and we were able to bring on more therapists through, um, we started kind of off with our network. Like one of the first people we hired was someone that one of my old colleagues who was, um, willing to jump in and try it, try it out with us. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we, we've just been growing from there. So, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So it's not like you, you went in having had a lot of experience with it. It just sort of, you knew you saw it on the horizon. You saw the growth and the potential and yeah. Uh, yeah and you did a little proof of concept mm-hmm. and things took off from there. That's kind of, it's interesting. That was what, two years ago that you started this? Or was it, even it was sooner? 2019. Yeah, it was 2019. Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. sometime in 2019 and uh, you found some success immediately. You were, mm-hmm. were I'm, I'm imagining that when you first started this, you were doing, all the therapy, um, mm-hmm. scheduling, all the business and stuff. It must have been a nightmare just getting this thing off the ground and, yeah. and getting it yeah, running. I mean, <laughs> a little bit. It was, um, I would say like it started slow mm-hmm. at first. You know, we were still figuring out and I, I definitely wasn't alone. So we had a team. It was myself. Um, my husband, actually, Nick, is our CEO. Um, and two other colleagues, Spencer, who's our chief marketing officer, and Ryan Inahosa. Spencer Magloff and Ryan Inahosa. Ryan is our um, chief technical officer. He's mm-hmm. like our developer and everything. Uh, so I had a team helping. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I definitely wasn't alone. And it was able to build at a pace that was 
comfortable enough that we really felt like we figured out each step at a time. So we kind of tackled one part and then we're able to kind of ambitiously move to the next part. And we, we did have big ambitions for it and we do. Okay. No, that's great. Um, so one of the unique aspects about your, your business is that you circumvent the whole insurance process. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us a little bit about that, why you chose to go that route and what the business model looks like. Yeah. So I think really why we chose to to go around insurance was why every speech therapist probably would prefer to go around it is because it's a pain. It is. It's, <laughs> it's annoying. It's frustrating. It's heartbreaking for some of your patients. Um, I mean, spending monotonous hours doing paperwork versus spending kind of exciting hours that you're passionate about planning therapy, conducting therapy. That's, that's what I was more interested in. Um, and so I, I think that the idea was born out of, I, you know, I would come home from a, a day of work and kind of be complaining about how someone had one of my favorite kiddos had dropped off my caseload and I can't see them for another month and a half because some kind of thing with insurance and, um, Nicholas, his career has, has historically been in product management. And so he's definitely got a brain for what's broken. How do we fix it? Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, well, that sounds like it's broken. What could, we always knew that we kind of, I, I probably eventually someday wanted to start my own practice. Uh, if I'm being honest, it probably came sooner than I expected it to. And by no means do I, do I kind of look at my somewhat nascent career and say, yeah, I, everyone should listen to everything I say. I don't feel that way. I feel like we just are the ones who had this idea that we put to the test and have found it to be fruitful. Um, so yeah, I think (laughs) to boil it down, why did we skip insurance? Because wouldn't you, (laughs) if you, if you could, (laughs) well, I, I mean, I'll tell you just from my own experience in, in private practice, I've done private since 2001 and it is even to this day, um, there are, I only have a handful of clients, but I would say that the cash flow has always been very poor. I mean, in some sense, I, in some cases I'm waiting easily six to eight months to get paid, uh, mm-hmm. for a day to service. And the time that it takes to, my wife, uh, does the insurance billing for me. And so she's the person okay. on the phone, uh, haggling and getting claims reprocessed. But yeah, I mean, had you gone down the road of accepting insurance and doing all that, you would have been uh, hiring someone full time, uh, at least I'm sure at least a person to start out with just doing pre certifications, making mm-hmm. sure you're under the uh, the number of visits, the caps. Uh, it's it's a headache. It is a headache. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just emphasize that because, you know, I get emails the show that this show, I would say 25% of its listenership is outside of the U S so about a quarter of the listeners come are UK, um, Australia and just everywhere else. So it's, it's kind of funny because I'll, he'll say, really? <laughs> like, yeah, it's that bad here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can't believe what a mess it is. Yeah. It's like we heard about it. Like, yeah. So, um, <laughs> that's kind of the way it is. But then again, there are private providers, uh, in those places too, because I, I don't understand all the ins and outs of their systems, but yeah, they, they have private practices as well. So mm-hmm. going into this, I'm sure you had a whole bunch of questions in terms of how to uh, so just to iterate it, by the way, so your your model is you, you basically have a flat fee that uh, customers pay on a monthly basis. 
Um, I, I believe that on your website, you were talking about how you can have most people kind of do like a once a week model, but you, you also have like a twice a week. Um, it's very simple. It's very streamlined. I don't think there's any hidden fees or anything like that. It's a very seamless process. Yeah. Yeah. We want it. We, I think we feel pretty passionately about keeping it pretty transparent. Um, so yeah, it just, it goes pretty much by session. So there's the fee per session. If you're doing two sessions per week, I should double that. And that's kind of what we put out there, but we have flexibility too. You know, like if, if the therapist meets with the client for the first session and they discuss recommendations and they all agree that it feels like something that could be biweekly, or even if they want to stretch it to once a month, like we're, we're really flexible about that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, a big part of, again, along the same lines of not kind of paying someone to do insurance work, we sort of want it to be pared down for billing purposes as well. So it works sort of like a subscription. I mean, customers don't ultimately pay for for sessions that they don't have, mm-hmm. but it does bill automatically each week in anticipation of the fact that they're hopefully meeting each week. If they have to reschedule, we do that. If they have to cancel, we issue credits and stuff, but mm-hmm. um, to keep it as simple as possible, that's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Now, the other thing is I'm sure you, you must send out to clients, like what are the minimum requirements they must have in terms of technology at home? Do you run into mm-hmm. any problems on that end? Um, I think we have here and there, you know, it, it is something that can be done on the phone. If the smartphone is a device that they have, sometimes that might not be ideal. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other major one is probably the, the quality of the internet. So you yeah. have to have a certain upload and download speed recommended in order to um, be able to kind of keep the connection good enough to to mm-hmm. have it be beneficial. So every now and then we might have something like that come up. And well, I mean, we're upfront about that. If they do a session and it's not working, I think they, <laughs> they know as because they're self-referring. So they would know, they would realize as well as we would that, oh, maybe this isn't viable for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then do you ever have, I was talking, uh, last podcast I did was, uh, we were talking about teletherapy in the beginning um, with Linda D'Onofrio. And we were talking about how, you know, especially if you're, if you've got an Arctic kid and it's very hands-on, you need to get in their mouth. And I I would think, at least from my experience so far, when I've had to do that, the best thing you can have is a parent next to them mm-hmm. to talk them through that. Is that kind of how, because I'm new all of this teletherapy. So that's, that's how I kind of do it if I need to. Is, yeah. I've even made, actually, one of my clients were on hiatus, but they're asking me how to elicit a sound. And so I still haven't done this, but I got to make a video to, to send to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, like what, how do you, what do you tell your therapist in terms of trying to work around those things? Yeah. So I think a lot of our therapists, they come, they come to the table with so much knowledge. Um, and there's so many resources that are being put out there right now too, all to this point. Um, our, I agree with you. Our biggest resources, families and caregivers, uh, when it comes to articulation, certainly, I mean, I think that as much as we can, we're going to try to figure out the cues, you know, if it's a kid that's old enough and able enough to attend the session independently, we'll start with those less invasive cues. Um, Start with creative ideas for how to get them some tactile input. If it's, you know, just using a a plastic straw instead of a bite block, you know, not Mm -hmm. having that kind of stuff. I've, I've never honestly been a fan of bite blocks, but um, either, either way, um, 
using something like that, using like a lollipop, trying to get them to figure out like some lingual tension for R, things like that. But um, yeah, looping those parents in and kind of walking through some things. I think ultimately it's going to come full circle because then when you're, if you task the family with practicing, they're going to know so much more about how to, how to listen for those cues, how to help the kids. Yeah. Um, and then we really push outside of just articulation. I mean, for everything, we're really um, passionate about parent involvement, like particularly for early language development cases, right? So um, families will even kind of contact us and they're interested in online teletherapy, but they we do the consultations on the phone to kind of explain everything. And they'll ask like, well, how does that work? I'm not sure that my two-year-old will be able to sit in front of the computer. So we kind of go through explaining how we don't actually need them to look at us on the computer, mm-hmm. maybe at all. We're really interested in helping you and interact coaching. with them and then interact with you. Yeah, very much a coaching model. Yeah. You know, I was one of the downsides, I think, to our health care system in, in the U.S. at least is I've always felt that depending on I – mean, I, I find that because you have a third party involved that – parent, one of my theories is that parent involvement is not optimal because there's that third party involved. And I would imagine under your model where they're just, you're eliminating the middle person, they're paying you directly. I don't know if it's, if it's true, but I would imagine that parent involvement would be a bit better. Um, I think so. I mean, I don't, I guess, (laughs) yes, I don't have I don't have like a, a re- that's sort yeah, of anecdotal data. for me to say. Yeah. 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 Um, as far as like tracking each session, did a parent sit with one of my therapists right. or not? I don't have that, but I think anecdotally, yes, for exactly like you said, twofold reasons, they it's private pay. So they're, they're going to be very interested in looking to get the most yeah, out benefit, of it that yeah. they can and mm-hmm. really highly motivated, which is great. Those are all things that are going to lead towards better outcomes for mm-hmm. our part anyways. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think I, I try to encourage, we try to encourage for our therapists to really establish like a good connection with the family up front to really set good expectations up front to kind of get off on the right foot about how this is kind of going to be a teamwork situation mm-hmm. and talk them through even the research that shows how much better our outcomes can be when parents are kept in the loop and mm-hmm. Um, everything like that. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from what you're just speaking to the point of uh, efficacy, even I know that uh, from everything I've read, it looks, it looks like teletherapy in terms of an evidence-based practice, it, it works. Um, obviously there are, my, my feeling is that it's going to be easier language than actual speech and our tech stuff, especially if you have to get in their mouths and things like that. But all in all, it looks like it's uh it can work is just as well as face-to-face. Um, I don't know if you want to make any comments about that. Yeah, I think, I think from, from a research perspective, I think there are particular populations where they're still, we're still trying to gather the evidence, right? So mm-hmm. as, as far as our, our stuff goes, we currently don't really have, we don't really do feeding cases at this point in time. Right. I think, sen- I think sensory feeding, frankly, is something that could translate very well mm-hmm. to telepractice. And we have a couple therapists on staff who are, who at previous points in their career have done more, ha- are excellent feeding therapists, tons of experience. So if we did want to kind of dive in to start like promoting that as something we provide, I think we would be well staffed to do it. Sure. 
Um, but the dysphagia side of things, the motor based side of things, that's something that's certainly more complex. Um, things like that. I envision maybe a way to kind of connect more with in-person providers and kind of draw out communication and be a little smoother between that where maybe, um, the SLP at a hospital doing the swallow study can just maybe easily connect with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they see that therapist in person a handful of times, and then they can connect with a provider like us for teletherapy to do more maintenance and kind of keeping track of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In terms of communication, what does your plan? So what happens when uh, a family signs on with you and the parent says, hey, can you talk to the school-based SLP to coordinate care and the plan? Is that included in that uh, cost structure? Is that something that your therapist can do? Um, we can. It hasn't, you know, it's not something that's come up a whole a whole lot. I, I think that our first move would be to ask, you know, if they have um, the IEP Mm-hmm. written and that if they're willing to pass that along to us, certainly we can look at how we would want to incorporate that. But um, I think we kind of promote ourselves as being, we, we certainly can help support academic areas if that's like really their goal. But I think we sort of tr- tend to fall a little bit more on the side of like functional type goals and, and meeting things at home and in the community and things like right. that. So different lens. we can, yeah, we can kind of align and, and, you know, maybe do a little bit of communication with the school, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not as much a part of our model. It's just since that's that indirect time stuff that kind of changes up right. for us. Yeah. Okay. And being that you're in Texas, uh, I remember asking this a little bit, your, is your practice primarily based in Texas or like what, when you first started, I'm guessing that you worked with families in and around your area and I think you were mentioning you've uh, since grown outside of the borders of your of the yeah, Lone Star yeah. State. So yeah, <laughs> we started in Texas, and then we um, I think the next one we went to was Florida, mm-hmm. um, and then we were in we're in Oregon and Washington, and now California. So we got some pretty pretty whopping states there in the form of California, Texas, and Florida. Those are really highly populous. Oh yeah. The next, uh, the next move is New York, I believe is Mm -hmm. on the docket next. So yeah, we're, we're creeping our way through. Okay. And have you, have you found uh, areas within any of those states just of extreme need? Like, Oh my God, I can't believe the number of referrals coming out of the number of families, or is it just pretty much randomly distributed? I think it's, so far, I think it's pretty randomly distributed. I mean, we get a lot of feedback from from families and customers about a, a pretty varied amount of feedback about why they're looking for teletherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's the the cost. So either they don't have an insurance plan or they already have a copay that's this high and our fee to be able to do the, the service at home isn't that much higher to them. Um, maybe their clinic is 45 minutes away. They don't want to have an hour and a half drive two times a week. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they're looking for supplemental care. Maybe their plan covers a little bit, but they feel like they want more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that the reasons are pretty dependent. Um, And then I would say outside of that, um, I think because our our fee is, is the same in each state, 
And so sometimes I think cost of living can come into play for that reason. I would say a state like California, we might kind of appear a little bit more appealing just because their cost of living is higher out there and they might be seeing sure. typically higher prices. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Um, versus someone in a rural area of a less populated state. Yeah. Now that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. A lot yeah. of sense. Um, have school districts ever called you guys? As I know that there's a lot of need in, in certain rural populations, and I'm, I'm sure um, some some other teletherapy companies out there, maybe they, they don't have enough therapists to meet the needs. I'm just wondering, has any non-traditional uh, entities contacted you about providing services? Um, we've had some home health agencies kind of reach out and see if we could sort of contract with them to provide some of their speech therapy services. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we've had a school reach out yet, but um, I could understand if that, if that would be coming soon. Uh, I think just with the way things are going. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly an interesting question. It's an interesting time. I think where we started off with our model um, again, you know, the whole, the whole thing with home health agencies, like we're, our original idea was really not to get overly involved with anything in, related to insurance. So, um, it's sort of a question for us, uh, our plan and everything. And mm-hmm. similar, similar to schools is sort of, well, that would be a big shift if our, if our therapist had to write and maintain IEP paperwork. That would be something it totally would. different from where we currently are. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it would be. Um, but yeah, who knows with the with the pandemic as it currently stands. I know we just just last night got an email. My older son is starting high school and it was already announced that they will begin the school year online. Um, okay. and they're what they're looking for is a gradual uh, transition back now what that looks like hopefully within a month or so but i think being that it's high school and there's so many more moving pieces even then in elementary school i think they need to they, they sort of need to put a statement out there right now but yeah i mean online i think it's i think the this whole pandemic i think is just going to accelerate so many trends that have already been in place and teletherapy is just one of them mm-hmm. um so uh, last question i had was what I, I can give you one of mine, but what problems or obstacles, either technological, people-wise, like what what is your biggest headache right now in terms of growing your business and and uh, just navigating the water? I mean, I'll just tell you from my standpoint, if I were to, if I wish, my wish for one technological leap is, and we've seen, I've seen commercials like on YouTube or television about this, like the jokes about Zoom calls where two people cannot talk at the same time because. You, you can't have that. It can't, it's not as if you're in a room and uh, you can hear both voices. It's either it's one or the other. It's not both at the same time. Uh, just had that experience today and trying to do a group lesson and for summer school. And there's probably about, I don't know, 10 of us on the call. Um, so I, I, I'm not a, I love technology. I'm not an expert at it, but I would think that with the coming of 5G, that maybe that'll make it a little easier for us all to connect and it'll be a little more seamless and we'll all be able to hear each other as if we're in the same room. That's my wish. Um, what is your wish? God, I mean, that's, I think that's a good wish. Um, I guess we, I, I, when you were talking there, I was thinking like, we don't, 
feel that pain point acutely because we are only doing one-on-one sessions. True. So hopefully <laughs> conversations should be flowing the way that conversations meant to back and forth. Um, you know, I think, I think where technology is right now, I think honestly, it, it does what it needs to do for, mm-hmm. te- you know, you, you, you can see and you can hear. I think I would, if I could change anything, I would get everyone kind of like equity access to internet if I had a magic wand, right? Mm, yeah. The mission that we have, like trying to trying to break across like geographical barriers, trying to increase access for people. I mean, we're kind of we're kind of thwarted and by to reach everyone by that. Um, so I I I think about that sometimes. Um, I also, I just had a thought actually when I was getting ready to come on to talk with you and I was like, wouldn't augmented reality be cool? Talking about like having, being able to kind of point out something really specifically and not just two dimensionally to a, to a parent that could be interesting. Um, yeah, yours Maybe yours from now coming. VR. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll all yeah. be virtually in the same room, and then it'll truly will have come. Uh, it'll be as good as it can get. You know, if you can actually recreate a therapy room and you're both sitting in there, like, blow your mind. Um, yeah, that would be pretty <laughs> awesome. But yeah, augmented reality, new ways to show information, visuals. I think that would be kind of cool. Three dimensional mm-hmm. uh, illustrations or animations. Um, we were talking. I know. Uh, when we were on the phone, we had talked about licensure. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned to me, I had no idea that uh, ASHA was working on some type of reciprocity uh, mm-hmm. legislation. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So it's called the, um, I have to say it right, ASLPIC. It's the, mm-hmm. the interstate compact. And so they are, you know, with, I guess, as much power as they can, um, trying to lobby state by state, right? Because state licensure goes state by state. And so it's sort of something that has to be passed at each state's level. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe that the guideline is if they get, if they get 10 states on board, that it could kind of like trigger and initiate for those 10 states. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if you lived in one of those 10 states, if you were licensed in one of those 10 states, that there would be reciprocity for your, for your licensure across the, the rest of the 10 uh, I think I would love it. I think a lot of us would love it. Um, that honestly is something that is an impact when trying to scale the business. I mean, maintaining, maintaining one license is, you know, sometimes a burden. You gotta, oh, yeah. I, I, I sometimes wake up in cold sweats thinking about like, like how many CEUs do I have? Like, when is my, when do I need to send the check? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Have, you know, heaven forbid you miss something and, and be practicing without your valid license and not realize it, something like that. I mean, um, so maintaining more than one, if you're someone who is in telepractice trying to reach a couple different states or not even telepractice. I've heard from people like they live in the corner of a state and if they drive 20 minutes south, they're in another state. Oh, like the four corners. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Utah, so, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I remember I had an episode uh Julia Kuhn, a traveling traveler, was the name of her the episode. I think it's also the name of her blog. Who she was in Kauai when I talked to her, and yeah, she she maintains licensure, California, Hawaii, um, Texas, maybe Arizona, yeah, all over the place. And it's it's kind of a headache. 
It's definitely a headache. And some are, some are easier than others. I mean, I know that shout out to, I can say at least I know Florida because I, I have mine there. They passed a law in 2019 that's basically just a telepractitioner license. So you're not, mm. it's not the exact same as full licensure. You're not, you know, but if you have a good standing license in another state and you have your C's, you can be mm -hmm. um, really easily and quickly registered as a telepractice provider for Floridians. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I hope to see, I, I can't imagine why the trend wouldn't just continue that way. We just a I, I mean, I kind of see within 10 years, just hopefully the entire United States just going the model, just just like marriage. We recognize it in all 50 states, you know, you're just opening up access and that's the number one bonus right mm -hmm. there. You know, someone who mm -hmm. lives like two hours outside of the nearest SLP. I once had a client uh, who moved out of the Chicago area and she came, they were in, in Michigan and the closest SLP was a good hour and 15. So what she did was she came back um, was on the other side of Lake Michigan and came back once a week to, she homeschooled her kids and just did a whole bunch of stuff with them. It was like on Wednesdays. So she came to see me in the late afternoon, spend the entire day in Chicago, do the shopping at her favorite stores, ice skating lessons, um, all sorts of other enrichment things, and then just come to see me at the end of the day and then go back. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure looking back, she she probably, yeah, this would have been a case I could have easily done teletherapy had it been around uh, back then. But yeah, I mean, and, and the funny thing is, uh, we, we wound up missing so much of the winter uh, because all this lake effect snow. I mean, it's it's treacherous right. getting around that uh, northwest Indiana and, you know, that lake front, that lakefront snow is just, uh, it, it was just, it was horrible. So it was like, I would say like more often than not, we had to cancel. Yeah, but, I remember uh, that lake that lake effect. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't miss it. I miss Evanston and I miss Chicago, but I don't miss that. Yeah, that aspect. <laughs> I'm going to love winter more these days. I don't know why. Um Okay, so your name of the company is Expressible. Is it was it expressible.com or do you have a different website here? It's expressible.io. .io. Okay. I don't run into yeah. many IO websites. So check it out expressible.io. Uh, anything you want to add before we sign off? I don't think so. No, thanks for having me on and um, letting me talk about speech and telepractice. I love talking about the field, any part of it, really. I'll talk yeah. to anyone about speech pathology. It doesn't have to be telepractice. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure that my husband and my family wish I had more people to talk to about it so that maybe they didn't have to listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Leanne, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. I wish you all the luck with your company, Expressible.io. Check that out. I hope you all like this show. If you wouldn't mind, if you hadn't done so already, would you please go to the iTunes store and leave me an honest review there? You can also do so, I think, at other places that you listen to podcasts. Check it out. Let me know. Any questions, comments, and concerns can be directed to yours truly at Jeff at conversationsinspeech.com. I'm always happy to hear feedback, good and bad, show suggestions, and uh, whatever else is on your mind. So stay safe, stay healthy, hope you're having a good summer so far, and I will see you all next time. <laughs>